bless you, fathers. That was beautiful to receive prayer. Before we jump into the new sermon series, every time I pop up, I want to give you guys a bit of church news. So I just want you guys to be mindful, even if you're not in the room on Sundays to catch up on the live stream. In my mind, the start of the sermon, particularly when I'm preaching, I want to give uh, any important announcements. I'll push this through other chains that you guys are in, WhatsApp, Facebook group. But next Sunday is going to be a very important Sunday. We're going to be talking about governance. Ooh, sexy word, governance. But it's actually really important. We're a young church plant. Uh, we're just over a year old. And establishing governance is a really big milestone. And, and for us, that actually is going to look like establishing elders. Um, if you guys are familiar with church uh, governance and with the New Testament, we're going to be uh, talking about Firstly, how our governance operates, and we're actually excitingly going to potentially present uh, some elders for you guys to uh, affirm and bless and pray into. So I just want to plant that seed for next Sunday. I'll communicate that out uh, throughout the week. Um, I know not everyone's in the room right now, but just plant that next Sunday, very important Sunday, we're going to be thinking about uh, governance of the church and who and what that's going to look like. Friendship, new sermon series. I always get giddy. New sermon series, I get excited. New pep of energy. I loved Job. Thinking about suffering, I feel like it moved our church forward and deeper. But it's also nice uh, to to shift gears. So the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at relationships. So this is going to be more of a topical series. It's not going to be going through a book. And the three areas we're going to hit. So today, we're going to think about friendship. Next week, we're going to think about singleness. And I think that's going to be very um, profound in thinking about how we do singleness and we might even think about sexuality in that space. And then the third of the three-week series is marriage. So friendship, singleness, marriage. And so we are going to kick off today by thinking about friendship. Let's start off with a bit of trivia who doesn't like trivia? <laughs> Do you guys know who was my most consistent and loyal friend throughout high school? I think, I think I'm going to be showing my age here. Do you know who my most consistent and loyal friend was? Who the internet thought my closest friend was? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> who knows who this guy is? I'm showing my age. Everyone over the age of like 30, that's me. Who's this guy? Tom, Tom, the creator of MySpace, I remember the anxiety having to pick my top five MySpace friends. I, I, man, I came through high school, I started high school 2001, so MySpace was at its peak, like 2003 to like the end of 2003. (laughs) But I remember having to come home and I, I wasn't friends with anyone else in the number one slot. It hurt me, but I was number two or three, you know, but I was never number one. And so I didn't want to put someone else who was, you know, they're my number one, but I'm not their number one. I'm like, this, that's a weird expectation gap. So Tom was the saviour. I always had him as number one. Jokes aside, thinking about friendship is an important topic. And I, was, I was actually reflecting this week about all the, the cultural narratives we have in the zeitgeist about friendship. I think that one of the biggest cultural narratives and scripts that shaped me about friendship was watching the show Friends. I actually learned about, oh, there's okay, these six people doing friendship together. I think I actually learned what friendship was there. You know, you, your parents don't sit you down and tell you, here's what friendship looks like. 
And so I'm really excited. I've never preached a sermon on friendship, and I'm actually assuming not a lot of us have thought about what the Bible says about friendship. Second trivia, it's not going to be a sermon trivia, but this is the last question. Do you know what the number, a bit more serious, do you know what the number one pastoral conversation I've had since we launched this church? The number one topic is friendship. The number one pastoral topic I've had is friendship. People saying I either don't have the type of friends my heart longs for or I don't know who my people are at this church And so this has just been really profound for me to slow down and to think about friendship. I think as we entered into church planting, if you rewind to July last year, man, COVID, we were just coming out of COVID. So two years of forced lockdown. And again, that just threw, threw out all the balance of who our friendships are, how we see them. We're now forced to feel anxious when we interact with another human. Um, man, we've had a lot of transitions in this church, people transitioning from uni to full-time work, from dating to marriage, from marriage to having a kid, to having two kids, to having three kids, massive life transitions, which actually have strained how we form friendship. And this is going to sound so stupid when I wrote it down and saying it out loud now. What I realized is that everyone here has moved church in the last year because <laughs> we, we weren't a church. So everyone in a church plant has shifted community and therefore has felt the inertia shift of who my people are, who my core people are. So I actually want to acknowledge the pain and the sadness this topic can bring. I actually want to pause, let that in, let us feel it and not ignore it. Many of us might have felt the pain of not getting invited to something, hearing that what you thought your close friends were, having an event without you. And so we all bring our wounds and our pain to this topic, and I want to invite that in. I also want to say the fact that you're in this room and you're in at this church, there's actually a lot of people that see you and love you, and you may have more friends than you think and more people that care for you. And so that being kind of the cultural status, COVID, we've all moved community and churches and sociology tells us it takes at least three years to form trust and friendship. And so if if we've just moved into the area, moved to a new church, you know, we're only a year in. And sociology also tells us every seven years, your good friendship circles reset. And that's actually felt true for me. I mean, my my sister, who I love, if you're listening, I love you, but she, she was probably my best friend and she moved to London suddenly. In 2015. And I was like, I didn't know you could just leave. Just move to another city. And she said, two years. And it's been eight years. You know, and you guys might have felt that. Your, your best friend moves away. And I think especially people that live in Sydney, a lot of our close friends are now moving, you know, up north or down south for financial reasons. So there's this constant flow in and out of friendship. And so with that, I want us to open the Bible and think hard and well about this topic. One thing I want to say at the outset, which I think is really important to clarify, is it's actually not the church's purpose to cultivate friendship. So I just want to let that that settle, but I'm going to clarify what I'm actually saying there. So our mission statement, even as we open the Bible, every church's mission is, every church's vision and strategy is to do with discipleship, 
and mission, following Jesus and how we can bless and reach the world. But catch this, although it's not the church's purpose to cultivate friendships, I don't think you can have a healthy church without friendship. I don't think you can have a healthy church without having the ecosystem for healthy friendships to exist and flourish. And why is that? You know, Jesus says that the world will know that we are his disciples by how we love each other. So we need to have friendship. I was actually, I've heard sermons in the moment. I thought they were fine, but as I've reflected on them, I actually think they're quite average where they're like, you know, church's job is just to, to love people. We're not supposed to be friends with everyone. And I understand what they're saying, but I actually think for Anchor, I actually want, I want more friendship. I want us to, I want us to, to cultivate better and long-lasting friendships. And so with that said, I want us to open up the Bible. We're going to be using Proverbs as our base today. We're going to be camping primarily in the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. And Proverbs says that you're not going to be a wise person. This is an overarching theme in Proverbs. You're not a wise person. You're not leading a wise life unless you are great at choosing and forging terrific friendships. Proverbs will say that to us. The people that are around us, who we put around and how we cultivate those relationships, a wise person will choose and forge terrific friendships. And so we're going to be looking at Proverbs through the lens of a few headings today. Today's going to be a bit more teach rather than preach, a bit more explanation, a lot more structure rather than exhorting and, you know, just fire. Hopefully there's still fire. And I also want to say, let's bring back note-taking at church. I see, always see there's like one or two of you that are taking notes. I, let's bring back note-taking at church and bringing physical Bibles. Amen. I saw that. There's some people that do it. I've got really clear structure today. So if you're taking notes, we're going to be thinking about three things. The uniqueness of friendship, forging a friendship, and the power for friendship. Uniqueness for friendship or friendship, they're going to come up on screen. Uniqueness of friendship forging a friendship and the power for friendship. So first, let's jump in. Let's think about the uniqueness of friendship. And we jump into, sorry, there's our structure there. Uniqueness of friendship. Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I love how simple the Proverbs are. So clean. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What is this saying? This is saying a friend can be better than a sibling. It sticks closer than, than them. And we've got to do some work here. We've got to enter, as we always do, into the context of the Bible. You've got to realize what is this is being said. In this culture, what is this culture that the Bible was written in? It's a very family-orientated culture. Family was everything. And so this is saying a friend can be better, can be more important than family, then a sibling. Now, why would that be? Why is the Bible saying this? Proverbs 17, 17. Why can a friend be more profound than family? A friend loves at all times, but a sibling is for adversity. A friend loves at all times, but a sibling, family, is for adversity. Your siblings, your family, if you don't have siblings, people who are related to you by blood, your family 
they often have to be there. You know, there's loyalty. I remember my aunt always said this, this thing, you know, blood is thicker than water. She drilled it into me. Your family, they have to be there. There's obligation. I love my wife. I, 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 I love my wife dearly. And I stood up, but I had to make, I made, I had to, I made a covenant. I actually made a public promise before the Lord. And that, that's a covenant. So you see there, there's a, there's a different uh, motivation for the glue of the relationship. They're going to be there for you. And as you guys might think about your family, I don't know if you think about what Christmas time, what emotions bring to you. Some of you might not like your family. You, know, you, might, not, you might not like your family members. And they might not like you. Now, some of you are blessed that your siblings and your family are your friends. But often your siblings and your family members may not like you. They're not the ones you're going to ask to do something on Saturday night. They're not the ones. There's these other people. A friend, and I think this is what it's getting at, a friend is someone who's chosen you. A friend is someone who has chosen you. I want us to go back to this idea, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This, this word sticks, this Hebrew word that's used there, is the same word in the Old Testament as cleave. It's cleaving. Cleaving means it's a commitment out of passionate love. Hebrew, the Old Testament actually uses cleave as, as the same as marriage. Same kind of passionate love. There's, there's a friend that cleaves to you. And a friend is better in many ways than a sibling because sibling, it's trying to say, the Bible's trying to say to us, Proverbs is trying to say to us that there is a unique necessity to friendship. Friendship brings something into your life that family can't bring. Friendship brings something into your life your family can't bring. Friendship brings something into your life that your romantic relationships can't bring and that your neighbours can't bring. Friendship is unique. And again, we've got to remember that every culture, I don't know if you've thought about this, every culture will put friendship on the back seat. Have you thought about that? Every friendship puts, sorry, every culture puts friendship on a second here. This is, this is why it is unique for us to think about the unique necessity of friendship. You ever thought about why friendship is unique? In an in individualistic culture like ours, what relationships do we elevate? We elevate erotic love, romantic love, sexual love. Take a look at man, your Instagram and your social media. What's, what gets the clicks and the likes? If you think of whatever celebrities you like to follow... It doesn't get the clicks and likes to be like, oh, this celebrity was hanging out with their friend that day. Make it a few likes. It's kind of cool to see who, who their mates are. But well, you know what gets the likes? Oh, they're dating someone new. That's what gets the like. Oh, they're dating someone. Oh, now they're dating someone else. You think of it, let's pile up all the songs that have been written about friendship in Western culture. And there's a few compared to all the songs written about romantic love. It doesn't even compare. Let me give you, I think, one of the great examples of why friendship is unique in Western culture. Do you know what the Lord of the Rings were about? What was the Lord of the Rings about? This blockbuster trilogy. This was one of the central relationships. Romance, Aragon, and Arwen. <laughs> Epic. I could do a whole sermon about Lord of the Rings. Do you, know where, do you know where the romantic relationship between Aragon and Arwen was in the book? 
It wasn't there. It was in the appendix. But Hollywood, the scriptwriters are like, man, we need something. We need a romantic relationship at the center of this epic journey. And we're going to pull it out of the appendix and we're going to put it at the center. Do you know what Lord of the Rings was about? You know what J.I.R. Tolkien made it about? Friendship. This is what it was about. And I think Peter Jackson did a great job of making it about friendship. But we still have to insist on putting romantic relationships at the center. We elevate it above friendship. You see, our culture has turned friendship into a second-tier relationship. Western individualism, culture like ours, romance is the most important relationship. In a traditional conservative culture, which the Bible set in, and I think in a lot of subcultures in Christianity, the family unit is the most important relationship. Father, mother, sibling, brother, sister, and it's very important. But every culture will always put friendship in the next tier down. And do you know why that is? Friendship is not a biological or sociological necessity. You ever thought about that? We don't need friendships biologically. We don't need it for the human race to continue. In a procreation, that's our romantic relationships. And it's often not a sociological necessity. For you to, to get work, you often don't use your friendships in that way. C.S. Lewis has been a master of helping me think about this. Friendship is the least instinctive and biological and the least necessary of all of our loves. It has the least commerce with our physical system. Nothing quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. I love that. C.S. Lewis talking about turning you red and pale, thinking about, ooh, my friendships. I'm getting all flushed today, thinking about how much my friends love me. And what this means, of course, is erotic love. We wouldn't exist without erotic love, without procreation. And, of course, without our family love, we need that to be raised and nurtured. And for our neighbor love, we couldn't survive. We need, we need systems in place. We need economy. We need work. And in a busy culture like ours, and I think this is where the grief comes in, a busy culture like ours, our heart longs for friendships, but we have to work long hours. We travel a lot. All the other loves we will make time for. Even when you're busy, you'll still make time for your spouse. You'll make time for your family. And often we won't make time for our friendship. And yet, the book of Proverbs says that you won't have a full life without friends. Friendship love brings something into your life that is unique. And in a family-orientated culture like this, it is profound that the proverb says that friendship can be better than a sibling. It can be better than a family relationship. Proverbs 13.20 continues with this idea. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Every time we see walks in the Old Testament, we have to think about friendship. It's the same word, this idea. Every time it pictures, you picture God and Adam walking in the cool of the day in the start of Genesis. Walking is the same image it gives a friendship. So whoever walks with the wise, whoever, has, whoever is wise in their friendships become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a saying, if you choose poor friends, you'll be harmed. That's actually quite profound. 
Fools perish, are harmed for lack of friends and for poorly chosen friends. And so we think about who has formed us. I don't know if you guys ever thought about that. Who's, who's formed my values? I think in our early days, it's our family that form our values. But for me, and I think for a lot of us, when we stop listening to our parents, maybe around 13, some of us a bit earlier and later, it's our friends that form our values, that form how we think and who we are. So choosing our friendships is paramount. And Proverbs is saying this, if you choose poorly and you don't cultivate them, we actually come to harm. We come to harm. And so it touches on the uniqueness of friendship. We're just thinking about the culture we live in, that it, it actually isn't valued and romantic love is often above friendship. But the Bible is saying that friendship is just as important and in some ways maybe more powerful than our sibling and family relationships. Shifting to number two, and this will get a bit harder, forging a friendship. Many Christians, and I'm actually including myself here, I love organic things. I love, I love things with that, are, that are chill and that they just, they just kind of flow and they work. And you picture your best friend that you met in high school, like it just clicked. You know, we just, we just laughed about the same things. It was just, it was chill. I didn't have to, you know, check my iCal to hang out with him. But I actually think Proverbs challenges us to think about this idea of forging friendships, that friendships actually need to be built. They need to be fought for. And particularly in adulthood, they need to be built. Dr. Emily Musgrove, who is special, her whole... Um, she's a secular thinker, but she's been so helpful for me. She's obsessed with friendships. She's written a book about friendships. And I was listening to her this week, and she um, emphasized this idea that friendship in adulthood, friendships in adulthood do not form organically. In childhood, our friendships appear as though they are organically grown, primarily because of repeated unplanned interactions. Picture recess, picture lunch, unplanned, repeated interactions. And if we fall into the pattern of thinking that friendships should happen organically, you end up lonelier than the people that believe that friendship happens by deliberate action. And I've often felt this, that often my heart longs for an organic friendship. You know, just, just a best friend that we, we laugh at the same things, we cry at the same things, we have the same values. You know, for me, it's the, it's the trinity of like Jesus, Arsenal, and MBA, it's just this like, so the center of that van is that's it's my brother and or sister. That person exists, maybe Marvel as well. Those four circles, they, they, we just want that organically. But it was so challenging for me, Emily Musgrove saying that friendships in adulthood, they actually don't form organically. But we fall into this because often what happens, primary school, high school, again, repeated unplanned interactions with people. And as soon as we don't have those structures in place, it's hard work having to plan and organize catch-ups with our friendships. So friendships need to be forged. They need to be built. Now, the late, great Tim Keller, he does this masterpiece of a, of a sermon in two, 2005. And he had these three C's about how to forge and build a friendship. And it's so helpful, uh, I think, for us thinking about this idea of forging friendships. Constancy, carefulness, and candor. Constancy, 
carefulness and candor. And I think we can use these as, you know, building blocks for friendships, but also evaluative tools of the state of our friendships. Again, this isn't going to be an exclusive list. list. There's so many ways that we can build friendships, but these three Cs really help us. So firstly, thinking about constancy. We had this before, but I want to unpack it a bit further. A friend loves at all times, but a sibling is for adversity. Now, when it says a friend loves at all times, what does that mean? It means a friend loves all kinds of times. In all kinds of times. In all kinds of seasons. A friend loves us in good times, in bad times, in ordinary times. In other words, you can't be a friend without availability. You cannot be a friend without availability. Constant availability. But constancy doesn't just mean availability. You're there, you're checking in, you're physically present. It also means particularly being there when the chips are down. You look carefully here what the contrast is. You see here in Proverbs 18.24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's start there particularly. A friend, this is what this is saying, a friend does not let another friend come to ruin. A friend does not let another friend go to ruin. I will not let you go to ruin. So much of our relationships are transactional in Western culture. You know, and this goes both ways. You know why most people want to know you? I'm, I know I'm bursting a big bubble here. Do you know why most people want to know you? Because you're useful to them. You're useful to them. That's the same way. We, 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 we're hardwired to do that. A big part of our culture has discipled us is relationships are because we are useful to them. Most of your, think of your, your work colleagues, most of the people that you know, do you know why you know them and they know you? It's because you're useful to them. You're useful but maybe for having a good time. You're useful for networking and meeting other people. You know, it's not about what you know but who you know. And some of them are useful for getting things done. And Proverbs is saying a friend is there when the chips are down, when you're starting to collapse, when you're coming to ruin, and it takes a lot of cost to stay in a relationship. A friend is there because a true friend has not made you to a means to an end. They love you just for you. I want us to catch that. This is the biblical framework here. Friendship isn't just about transaction. I'm just here because of you, not for what you give me. A friend says, I will do whatever it takes to keep you from falling into ruin. I won't let you go to the bottom. I won't. So I'm going to be constant, and it's going to cost me something. something. So that's constancy. Second one, this one's a bit more interesting. Carefulness. Carefulness. Why do we need carefulness in good friendships? He's talking about these two friends here. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. So we picture two people here. Imagine you're cold and a friend comes up to you and takes away a garment, takes away your jumper. Or they pour vinegar 
on an open wound. It stings. This is like someone who sings songs to a heavy heart. Sings songs to a heavy heart. And that word song there means a song of joy. So you imagine, you know, when, when you're down and you have a heavy heart and someone walks in and they're just, they're singing in the rain. They're happy and it's like, just stop being so happy. Just chill. And what's created there in that type of friendship is there's this emotional disconnection that happens. And this idea of carefulness is that we actually need to be careful with our emotions towards one another. There has to be an emotional connection between friends. I, I struggle to be happy when you are sad. That's what this is saying. A true friend will struggle to be happy when you are sad. I cannot be happy when you are sad. I'm not going to sing when I see that you are sad. I'm not going to pour vinegar on an open wound. Why? Because friendships need emotional connection. They need emotional vulnerability. It can't just happen. And this won't be automatic. And here's what's so amazing and scary about friendship. This is, this is the scariest part about friendship. I think particularly for Aussie immature men like me who are so emotionally immature, friendship requires voluntary vulnerability. I'm voluntarily, not because I made a covenant, not because you're from my family, I'm voluntarily going to open up my heart and my life and here's how you can tell whether you really let the person become your friend or that person's really your friend. You can't sing songs when they have a heavy heart. I'm affected by your emotions. They can't walk past you when you are collapsing. A friend will not do that. And it's such an amazing gift when a friend meets us. They Firstly, they see our emotional state. Sometimes we don't even need to say it. Just in our body language, they see it and they're able to connect with it. A friend knows you but doesn't use you and is committed to you and committed to your emotional flourishing. And this proverb is saying, it's so profound, I can't emotionally flourish unless you're emotionally flourishing. So friendship needs carefulness. We need carefulness with our emotions. <clears throat> and the last C here is candor. This is my weakest one of these C's. Candor, truth-telling. Truth-telling. And it's actually a bit of a contrast to the carefulness. Candor, those that are truth-tellers, you guys might know that more of the blunt acts, they just tell you the truth whether you don't want or not, in spite of your emotional state. So we actually need to balance here carefulness and candor, but you need both with good friendships. Proverbs 27 Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. This is countercultural. This is quite profound that the, the Bible says this. Particularly, wounds from a friend can be trusted. This actually sounds a bit paradoxical. Like friendly wounds, you know, nice wounds. Wounding kisses. These are, these, are, these are paradoxical ideas. The old King James Version says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And immediately my central nervous system responds to this. Well, hang on, my close friends aren't meant to hurt me. They're not meant to wound me. What is this, what is this getting at? I think this is a helpful metaphor for us to have this idea that friendship needs truth-telling. 
there's honesty. That even though you may not want to hear this, you need to hear this. And I'm going to give it in love and I'm going to be careful of your emotions, but I need to say what I see is happening in you. And man, do you know how hard this is? Do you know how really truthfully hard this is? You see a close friend going down a path or making a decision and often we withhold the truth because of carefulness. But Proverbs is saying that healthy friendships have candor. Candor, this truth-telling. And I think this is why it's so hard to be a friend. It's so hard to do this well, to balance this carefulness and candor. You can often be too careful. And I can often lead this way, careful of pe- people's emotions. And we never do candor and truth-telling. And often we can lean too much the other way where it's all candor, it's all truth bombs, and you're just a blunt axe not mindful of their emotions. And we need both. It's what friendship, it's a proverb of saying, healthy friendships have a constancy, a carefulness, and candor. Now, big sigh. I can finish here and say, go and do likewise. Off you go. Now, some of you might be sitting here and you have great friendships. You know, go, let's, let's, do, let's do, I need to be more constant. I need to be more careful of their emotions. I need more candor and truth-telling. But I think there's a tension here as we sit in a sermon on friendship, as we read the Bible and look at the bar of friendship, there's a tension, there's a problem. And there's a problem that I feel in my own heart and perhaps you feel as well. I think the first problem is a longing. Our heart longs for deeper friendship. Our heart longs for it. Our heart longs for deeper friendship. And one of the reasons why there's this feeling of longing is because we live in a culture in which our friends are taken away faster than they're forged. They can be taken away faster than they're forged. And there's this mobility to living in a big city like Sydney. And not only do we have less time to forge the friendships we long for, our friends also move away. Or you move away. Or they get taken away. Or their season changes. And so we aren't as free to forge them as we like. And so when you read about a godly friend, there's this longing that comes that it's the reason that we live in this culture and why my heart doesn't have the friendships that it longs for. I feel it. Perhaps some of you guys feel it, filling us with longing. But I also think the second challenge with cultivating friendships and the problem that we have is as we read this list, it can be crushing. It can be crushing to think about being the perfect friend. You know why it's crushing? When we open up the Bible and we think about any topic, it's often just a mirror to us. And that mirror isn't perfect. And perhaps some of us do not have the friendships that we long for because we can't be the type of friends that we need. And often we don't have certain types of friendships because I'm just not the type of friend that the the Bible is calling for. It's often the same thing about my marriage. Oh man, I want a better marriage. But often to have a good marriage, I need to be a better husband. And often it's crushing when we think about this that we don't have the type of friends that we long for because we're not great friends. And I'm not, not trying to say that to crush you. 
I'm saying that just as a reality because it's hard. It's so hard to do this, this carefulness and this candor and to have the time for my work. You know, interest rates are higher and living in Sydney and Northern Beaches and for my family, to have the time it actually takes to forge a friendship, it can be crushing to read this and it's so hard. Friendship is so, so hard. It's so hard. You know how easy it is for you to be transparent? to really open up, to really let a person in, to be constant with all the time pressures, it is hard. And we're afraid. We're afraid often to let people in and to have to be that committed to others. Be there unconditionally for a person, no matter the cost. It is hard. And so I can't just end this by saying, go and do likewise. We need, we need something more for friendship. And so lastly, we need to think about the power for friendship. I've listened to a lot of podcasts this week. You know, I spent a lot of time in scripture, but I also want to, you know, as I think good preaching thinks about the cultural narratives, all of them end with a very similar type of advice. Of like, you know, you want to have you want to build better connections, you want to have more authentic friendship. One one example of what they talk about is the liking gap. They talk about this idea of the liking gap. Yeah, every time you have an interaction with someone, often if, you, if you're like me, you will go away from that conversation assuming that they liked you less than they actually did. That they are constantly thinking about, oh man, I didn't like that person's perspective or you know, man, their breath kind of smelled, didn't it? We're, we're just, we're, our neuroticism, our central nervous system will overanalyze that interaction. And for example, they will say how to make good friends you know, how to win friends and influence people. There's so much advice out there. They're like, you know, just have this sense that you are likable. You are a good friend. And as you enter into those interactions, you will become more likable and you'll be able to form more connections. And I want to say yes and amen to that. I'm sure, I'm not saying that's not good advice. But the question for us is, where do we get the power to do that? Where do we actually get the power to do that? Because those are deep identity things. How do we actually perceive ourselves? Where do we get the power to do this? How do we, how do we transform how we see ourselves? Because there's just there's so much, and there's just there's so much shame, and there's often genetics working against us, and there's wounds. How do, how do we change the perception of how we see ourselves and how other people see us? And this is why... We desperately need Jesus. We need something more. I don't want you guys to come here on Sunday and just hear some good advice like a TED Talk. We need some power. Amen. We need some power that's outside of ourselves to get the power to love people better. The night before Jesus died, he was desperately trying to get across something to his disciples. He was trying to get across the meaning of what he was doing. And one of the things he was trying to communicate to them is that he is going to die for his friends. He actually reshaped understanding the whole world through friendship. And this one won't be coming up on the screen, but I just want to read to you John 15, verse 15. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, but this is for us today. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
a servant doesn't have access. Instead, I have called you friends. Jesus is saying, I am changing my relationship with you. You're not a servant. You're not distant. I am drawing you close. I am calling you friend. And when Jesus said this, suddenly the whole history of the world can actually be understood in terms of friendship. God in and of itself, I'd love to do a whole sermon on this, but God is actually a friendship of sorts. The Christian God, the biblical God is a friendship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knowing each other, loving each other. And therefore, he made us in his image. And therefore, we need friendship. And he says right at the start, after he makes humanity, it's not good for man to be alone. There's a longing in us for friendship. And I mentioned this earlier. You go back to Genesis 3, and it talks about God comes walking in the cool of the day with Adam. Can you imagine the peace of walking with God? Just walking. Just walking. It's not asking you to do anything. You don't need to prove yourself to him. Just walking. This idea of friendship, this metaphor that God has made us for friendship and he's made us for friendship with him. And he's made us for friendship with one another. That God has made us for friendship and he's made us for friendship with him. And this is what I'm saying to finish. The power for friendship comes from our friendship with Jesus. That, that, that's the distinctive of, of Christianity. That, that is the power. It's going to be over the whole relationship series. The power to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better friend. The power for that has to come from our friendship with Jesus. I'm going to keep repeating this, this idea that friendship with Jesus, communion with him, having, having intimacy and knowledge and a love, receiving love from him, that is where we get the power to love others better. That is the only way that we become a person of love, to become the beloved. As the New Testament says, that to, to truly become the beloved, to realize, now listen, I want you to catch this if you've caught nothing else, to realize there is nothing more or less you can do to change God's love for you. It is way more for you and above you and heavier and thicker than you're even aware of. And that you were chosen and loved when you were far away from God. And it's not because of your spiritual heroics, but because of his great love for you. And this is actually realizing that we live from a place of being approved, being loved, being God's friend that allows us to love others, to truly let that spirit of adoption that we are loved as a son and daughter govern our life and drown out the orphan spirit, this orphan spirit that screams, screams in us, you're not enough, full of shame, you're not enough to truly become the beloved. I'm going to invite the worship band up and we're going to shift into a time of response If I wish I could have one superpower, actually, maybe it's number two. I'd love to fly. That would be sick. But if I would have another superpower, I would love nothing more than to just reach down and there was just a light switch in you and I could just flick it on for you to realize how much God loves you. Number one, for you guys to truly lay aside the internal narratives of shame and the wounds and rejection 
And just to know how much God loves you and how much he's for you. I wish I could just flick that on, but I can't. I can exhort, I can open up the Bible, I can show you, but I can't just flick it on. Only the Holy Spirit has the power and the revelation for us to see how much Jesus loves us and to therefore have the power to love others and to be a true friend. So we're going to respond in a few different ways. One way we can respond is prayer. And if you're, if you're on the prayer team, now's the time if you wanted to stand up and you wanted to, to move to the sides. You see up the back here we have a few, a few stools here if you want to receive some prayer. The prayer team would love nothing more than to pray for you. If this topic or if this series has brought up yeah, some wounds or emotion, we'd love nothing more to pray for you. I'll also be over this side. I want you guys, when you come to church, I don't want you guys just to see this as transactional. If there's something in your week, even if it's not about friendship, if there's a hurdle, there's something that you've got tension with, something you need breakthrough with, I'd love for you us to come to church. How often in the week do you get people just to, just to pray for you? Just for you. So these people would love nothing more than to do that. And secondly, we're going to respond in song. And we're going to respond in worship. And I'd love for us just to see this time, not only as a singing and adoring Jesus, but also receiving his love for us. You know, as we sing, we also receive. So I invite you guys to stand, and I'm going to transition us to worship. I'm going to pray for us. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come meet with us. Yeah, pers- person of Jesus, Holy Spirit, comforter, friend, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us right now. Jesus, thank you for calling us a friend, not just a servant. And right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray for a fresh revelation of how much you love us. Of, of your friendship towards us, that one day we will go back to Eden, that all of that will be restored, that we will truly be able to walk with you, walk with you, God, in the cool of the day. And so we just long for that. We, we long for a taste of that now. So thank you for your friendship. Help us to see it and receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.